Guys, so today's topic is, uh, it's, it's got an odd name. I'm calling it Wilderness 40. Wilderness 40, F-O-R-T-Y. Wilderness 40. And uh, it's, um, it's as much for us as it is for the global church. It is as much for us as it is for the global church. And uh, Romans eleven sixteen says that if the first batch of dough is leavened, or if the first batch of dough is holy, then the rest is holy. Or if the root is holy, then the fruit will be holy. Why am I quoting that scripture? I believe that sometimes one just has to release what um, God is saying for a small church like this, and it has the ability to spread and affect the global church. And to the extent possible, I'm sharing with people in other parts of the world too, so that they can prepare accordingly. So this is as much for us as it is for the global church. Romans 11:16, Mike. Uh, so um, the next, yes, the next 40 days, uh, taking us into mid-September, the next 40 days will poise the church. And when I say church today, it'll mean Acts 29 for certain, but it will, it does apply to the global church. The next 40 days, taking us into mid-September, will poise the church for a new beginning in terms of the role of the church on earth, in terms of the role of the church on earth. Next 40 days, taking us into mid-September, will poise the church for a new beginning in terms of the role of the church on earth. And uh, this is almost like a threshold point, the 40 days that start uh, now and go on till mid-September. It's almost like a threshold where, um, uh, as in Genesis 8, you see that at some point Noah sent out the raven, and the raven kept flying to and fro, but could not find a place to land. And then after that, he sends out the dove, and when he sends out the dove, the dove comes back. He sends the dove out again after seven days, and it comes back with a olive branch in its beak. And that is the sense of these 40 days, that once these 40 days come to conclusion, you will find that it's the same condition with the pandemic, where the raven has gone out and is looking forth for a place to land, and the dove comes back with an olive branch. And that is why the church has to poise itself in a way, so that as the waters now begin to dry up to a point where land appears, that the church is ready. So in other words, we are coming to that point mid-September or 40 days or so from now, where suddenly things will dramatically shift where the world will begin to relaunch itself. And as it relaunches itself, the church has to be poised for it because there is a post-pandemic church that God expects to rise up. And if the post-pandemic church does not rise up, then the church will function the same way as it has always been functioning. And in the Bible, you see multiple 40-day, 40-night references. Uh, there was a 40-day, 40-night reference when it came to the rains that came down and caused the flood. There was the 40-day, 40-night reference when Moses went up on Sinai. And he actually went up twice. The first time he went up and brought the tablets, he uh, broke the tablets. And then he went up a second time, again spent 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai. And then you see him spending 40 days and 40 nights on his face, literally, weeping before the Lord because in Deuteronomy 9 it says you went to Kadesh Barnea and instead of crossing into the promised land you rebelled and refused the voice of the Lord and so God wanted to consume you and for 40 days and 40 nights I cried out and interceded for you that the Lord may not consume you. You go further and you see that the spies were sent out for 40 days and 40 nights to explore the land and to come back with a report of the promised land they were being sent to. You see that in Numbers 13. Then you see Elijah going for a long journey, 40 days and 40 nights, ate angel food, and then spent 40 days and 40 nights without food. You see Goliath coming out 40 days and 40 nights to challenge the armies of Israel. And then you see Jesus, post-resurrection, before he ascended, spending 40 days and 40 nights with his disciples. He spent about 40 days with them preaching the kingdom, it says. But today what we want to focus on is Jesus in the wilderness. For 40 days and 40 nights in Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 onwards to 11, it says he spent time in the wilderness. And so that's where we will go.
So when you look at Matthew 4, verse 1 uh, to 11, it talks about Jesus in the wilderness. And I am comparing this time in the life of the church to the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness. And like it says in 1 Corinthians 7, 40, the second part, I too think I think I too have the Spirit of God. And so I'm saying to you that I believe this is something that the Spirit of God wants the global church to know and definitely wants this church to prepare. And so these next 40 to 45 days uh, or towards mid-September are days like Jesus spent in the wilderness. That's what we need to compare. That's the context we have. Those are the reference points we'll be looking at for the next six weeks. And by the way, we are not wandering through the wilderness. We are not fleeing into the wilderness. We're not sentenced into the wilderness. We are being led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about this as a year of the Holy Spirit, and that still continues. We are being led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. There were people who were uh, forced into the wilderness, who wandered there, who fled there. Ishmael fled, not Ishmael. Um, Ishmael, yeah. Sorry? Hagar fled into the wilderness, not Ishmael. Hagar fled into the wilderness. Cain fled into the wilderness. Moses was wandering in the wilderness. Elijah ran into the wilderness, but we are being led into the wilderness. Matthew 4.1 starts with the simple premise that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And that's great. If this is the year of the Holy Spirit and he's leading us into a 40-year time in the wilderness, look forward to it. Any questions? Um, as long as the dove returns with an olive in its mouth, I'm good. Let me put it this way. I'm not predicting what is going to happen with COVID-19. I'm telling you that over the next 40 days, the church has to poise itself, prepare itself for what will happen after. And almost like the raven flying across and not coming back into the ark, like the dove going and not coming back. It was much later after that that things actually came to settle. But by then, Noah's boat had landed on Mount Ararat. And I'm saying we have to now poise ourselves because God is bringing things to a new launch or a new beginning. And so come mid-September, if the church is not where it needs to be, then the world will have its way. Time and time again, this has happened, guys. Where, um, again, I go back to the sons of Issachar. The sons of Issachar had the ability to look and collate and analyze and say, aha, as this has been in the past, so it is happening now, so this is what it means. And therefore, the sons of Issachar were crucial to... Uh, David's uh, conquest and David's reign because they had an idea of signs and times. That is what we mean by knowing times and seasons, not the prophetic necessarily. Out of that, you can learn how to steward God's future agenda. And so what we are saying here is the global church needs to, and I've already spoken to Chad and a few others, the global church needs to now get together and say, this the, the, the beginning of the end is coming. How shall we position ourselves so that the world systems do not run how the world will look after? Every vacuum begs someone to enter. There is no question of a Jezebel succeeding as long as the vacuum that was filled by Ahab, the vacuum that was created by Ahab was not filled by somebody else. But Ahab would not move. And so in the presence of an Ahab, a Jezebel comes. Whenever there's a vacuum, either God fills it or the devil fills it. When God fills it, he looks for a people. And often his cry in the Bible is, I looked for a people, but I did not find anybody because they were sleeping. I was saying they were sleeping because someone was sleeping, but they were still. So, <laughs> so, Often in the Bible, God does that. Eh? He, he goes looking for a people, and then he has to roll up his own sleeve and roll up his sleeve and uh, bring salvation by himself. I'm saying, my God, what a shame if he finds us 
sleeping when we should be awake. More than two months ago, more than a hundred days ago, if you look at the scriptures we had uh, discussed, I said to you that there must be a post-COVID church. There must be a post-COVID response. There must be post-COVID planning. Businesses are doing it. Why is not the church doing it? Do you know businesses are doing it? Do you know Microsoft is doing it? Do you know all the big businesses are planning ahead? Do you know institutions are doing it? But one person that doesn't do it is a church because we've gotten so used to the blooming live stream now. We're getting highly techie. So please don't look at this as some kind of a prediction on when the virus will dissipate or disintegrate or when a vaccine will come. This is about, oh God, you're giving us till mid-September to prepare the church globally so that we are poised to take on what happens after this as the top of mountains become visible and as doves don't come back to the ark. I know that sounds a little abstract, but it'll flesh out as we go on. And don't think we are the only ones who are probably hearing this. Many small churches and big churches like us all across the earth will be hearing it. Guys, the one thing that happens once you get popular is you will have to, once you become popular, begin to cater to those that have made you popular, which is why God sometimes has to choose nobodies to bring his message forth. The biggest problem with popularity in today's world is that now you become a focus. Every word you say has to be measured because if you say a wrong word, you can be finished. And so God has to use nobodies to release his word, but he'll use a thousand nobodies instead of one popular person. God is smart. He doesn't need Twitter. So here's what I'm doing through this teaching and I'm doing, I will be doing over the next few weeks. I'm calling a holy convocation. It's a big word. It's a word almost never used. Even the NIV doesn't use it. Only KJV uses it. But the idea of a holy convocation was the idea of an assembly. Where uh, in, in the KJV, say, for instance, when they would have Passover or uh, stuff like that, in, I think in Exodus 12 or somewhere it says. And so s call a holy convocation. Get people together. And so this is what we're trying to do. Call a holy convocation. I'm summoning the leaders of the church, both locally at Acts 29 and uh, in other parts of the world. And let us fast and be fed. Let us fast and be fed. As in, let us fast before God so that he can feed us. Let us serve at his convenience. Let us fast. And we'll talk about that. Let us fast and be fed. Let us serve at his convenience, not even at his pleasure, but serve at his convenience. Sometimes it's easy to serve at his pleasure at my convenience, but serve at his convenience. Let us study and make everything according to the pattern that he prescribes. Let us study and make everything according to the pattern he prescribes. talks about it in Exodus 25, verse 40, where God says to Moses, listen, Moses, all the patterns that I showed you on the mountain, make sure that everything you build here on earth is based on the patterns I showed you on the mountain. So what are we saying here? We're saying that over the next 40 days and thereafter, oh God, would you please show us as a church, because you are launching us again, relaunching your bride, relaunching your bride. You know, it's we will never see the, um, we, we may never see on this side of the earth the effect of our, our, our work, our prayer, our toil, uh, our declarations uh, with regard to the first 40 days between, um, say, March 23rd and May 4th. We will never see the outcome of it, how the globe was affected because of that. We will never see the spiritual battles and the results of it on this side of the earth, but we know what happened during that time. And in the same way, now as we prepare for the next 40 days, 
know that some of these things that little people in a little church speak has global impact. It has always been that way. It has always been that way. One of the things I'm so convinced about, and I was repeating it again and again till about six weeks ago, is that I am a majority of one because I am walking with God and speaking what he wants spoken. And that on the earth things are wrought when any ordinary person has the ability to hear and then declare what God is saying because that is how God works. The Bible is alive and well. The Bible is more alive today than it has ever been. The Old Testament stories are patterned so that we may take them and affect them here on earth. I really can't tell you stories that, publicly I cannot tell you stories that are rot because you hear God and say one thing somewhere and governments topple, men are raised, men fall. It is the same way that Zerubbabel used to deal with in Zechariah that can be done even now. The reason I'm saying this to you is because you need to be encouraged somewhere deep in your heart that God operates this way. He will always skim down 30,000 to 300 so that we very clearly know where the power comes from, where the power went out from, and who deserves the glory for the power. So I'm calling a holy convocation, summoning the leaders, asking that we fast so that God can feed, that we serve at his convenience, serve at his convenience, not when you have built your house, not when you have uh, completed your marriage, not when you finished your degree, not when your work is done, at his convenience, at his convenience. And make everything just like the pattern shown on the mountain so that God can easily discharge command saying, hey Mike, here, go speak this from your balcony facing east because I have found you faithful. Hey Manoj, go speak this from your balcony facing south because I have found you pure. Hey Shika, speak in Coquitlam because I have found you seeking me more than you used to. Fasting is not so that we may uh, show God how humble we are. Fasting is not so that we may get um, uh, extra bonuses from God. When I'm talking about fasting here in the context of Wilderness 40, I'm talking about times of separation so that we can intensely focus on God things and so that we may wear sackcloth and weep for sometimes the world, sometimes the church, sometimes for others. When was the last time you wept for anybody but your child? When was the last time you wept for anybody but your child or your immediate family? So we're not talking about a fasting where we are humbling ourselves or rending our garments or, um, no, we're talking about a fasting that allows us to separate ourselves and in the pro process of separation, create time. Time for what? Time to intensely focus on certain things that God may want to bring to us as a church, bring to us as leaders, bring to us as individuals, and to wear sackcloth in the sense, actually find in the heart of God that space where he weeps for things that you can then participate in. It's a kind of prayer that we know very little of because it's not common to our modern times, which is supplication. Charismatic churches rarely see supplication or whatever church we are called. Any questions? You good, Tate? Any questions? Okay, so let me describe the wilderness to you. The wilderness is a place, sorry, was there a question? Um, sackcloth and weeping for the world, for the church, and for others. 
the wilderness, let me just describe the wilderness to you. It's a place uh, that we are being invited to. That's the first thing that really um, uh, um, makes me look forward to it. Uh, this is the part that makes me look forward to it, that I'm being invited into it. One of the things that God said to Israel when Israel was going through the wilderness was, yes, I took you there because I wanted to humble you, wanted to test you, but I wanted to do you good in the end. And that was with Israel after sinning and being led into the wilderness. In this case, it's not because of sin. It is him being, it's the Spirit of God saying, like I did with Jesus, I'm leading you into the wilderness. So you're being invited as a church into the wilderness. And that kind of wilderness is a place of provision. Is a place of provision. As in, this is not a place where you dry up, shrivel, and die. It's a place for provision. It's a place of overwhelming revelation of God. It is a place where you find an overwhelming revelation of God. Nobody, doesn't matter whether you went there because of sin, whether you wandered in there, whether you were sentenced or condemned to the wilderness. There is not a person in the Bible who went into the wilderness and did not see God like they have never seen him before. Everyone had an overwhelming revelation of God. Doesn't matter whether it's Cain, whether it's Elijah, whether it's Hagar, they all saw God that in a way they would have never seen him. Acts 29, I say to you, ha. Roll up your sleeves, consecrate yourself, um, lift up your hearts, uh, open your minds because of the invitation God is giving you because you can come away from this fully provided for, invited with an overwhelming revelation of God in the next 40 days leading up to mid-September. When I say 40, don't start counting the hours and minutes. It's a place of testing, which is what we will focus on a lot today. It's a place of testing. It's a place of encounter. An encounter is something you haven't had before. These are things that my heart is excited about. I look forward to preaching these things because as I preach, I begin to see things that aren't in my notes. And it just excites me to think, who are we? Who are, you that, who are we that you are mindful of us? Oh God, who are we that you are mindful of us? To have a God who wants to bring to us encounters with himself. We're not talking about no ordinary mortal. We're talking about him who is far beyond the 6,800 year orbit of Neowise, the comet that we've been trying to see. Far beyond that, him, encounters with him. Makes you want to go down on your knees, man. The wilderness is a place of renewal, of being made new. That's his intent with the church anyways. And I'm talking about the global church, not just Acts 29. And the wilderness is always a place where you return from with power. If you read Matthew 4, 1 to 11, or Luke 4, 1 to 11, you will find this. In Luke 4, the word changes slightly where Luke says that Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. Not even led into the wilderness by the Spirit. He was driven. It is best to be led or driven by the Spirit. I don't know why the word driven is used there. But even that is great. The Spirit saying, come on Jesus, we got things to do. Don't want to waste a single minute of the 40 days. Sometimes going into the wilderness means setting aside the things that you presently are focused on. This is an invitation to which you can respond saying, can I bury my dad and mom before I join you? I, I, I'll turn up there by the third day. Can I come a little later because i got to bury, bury my dad? Or can I just get the inheritance sorted out and then I'll come? This is why it fascinates me that Peter and John... Um, Peter and the uh, sons of Zebedee, Peter and Andrew and the sons of Zebedee left their nets right where they were, walked off with Jesus just because he said, follow me. There was no cost analysis. There was no time given. It was probably uh, damaging to the family because Zebedee now is left without his sons and has to mend his nets himself. And one would now argue, oh, that is very irresponsible. One, too bad they were praised. 
Priorities always mean something else is less prioritized. The devil's intention through this is to tempt, but it is being subsumed with God's purpose to test. So devil's intention of tempting is being subsumed by God's intention of testing. And both are different. One is to cause you to fall, the other is to prove your mettle and promote you. One is to cause you to fall, the other is to prove your capacity, your mettle, and M-E-T-T-L-E, and to promote you. So the devil's intention to tempt is being subsumed under God's intent or purpose to test. Why? In order that he may reveal to us, in order that he may reveal to us and prove our strength to us against the enemy and against the systems of the world that await. What I was going to say when, we, when I was talking about the fact that we prayed for a long time every week, both as a church and as leaders and as groups, we prayed against things that were happening when COVID first started. And I would like to say to you that with many others who were praying, we were able to prevent the irreversible dent that would have been left on the earth had there been no prayer being offered from churches around the world. If you don't believe it, go on Midbar. No, if you don't, not, not if you don't believe it. If you don't understand it, go onto that YouTube channel, Midbar, and look for a message called Behind the Scenes. And in that, it's very clearly explained what was happening, what is happening. And now I look forward to what else God is going to do. So, if God's intent or purpose is to test in order to reveal and prove our strength, what does this testing look like? So, the Spirit of God will test your humility. The Spirit of God will test your humility. The Spirit of God will test your humility. And um, the testing of humility is basically proving whether you have a helpless continuous dependence on God displaying a childlikeness displaying a return to childlikeness It'll come up again and again over the next 40 days where you'll find yourself struggling with pride, struggling with offense, struggling with uh, not being recognized, struggling with not having your way, struggling with loss of control. It'll come up again and again. And thank God it'll come up again and again. Ever since I started on this process, I've been having to fight the fact that I'm not childlike, having to fight the fact that I'm not being acknowledged at times, having to fight the fact that... There are times when I'm being offended. In a sense, redemption is the restoration of lost humility. Redemption is the restoration of lost humility, as in a return to childlikeness. A continuous dependence on him. It is one thing to be intensely helpless and dependent, and it is another thing to be intensely dependent, continuously dependent. Continuous dependence, a return to childlikeness. I look forward to it. Unafraid. The next thing he'll test you on is the condition of your heart. The condition of your heart. He'll test you on the condition of your heart. He'll test you on the condition of your heart. He'll test you on the condition of your heart. And it'll be on two levels. One, when it comes to the cares of the world versus his concerns, he will expose the conditions of your heart, condition of your heart. When it comes to the cares of the world versus his concerns, he will expose the condition of your heart. The thing with testing is no test 
can happen without an expo exposing of what actually is. The whole idea of a test is, let me show you what is. And once I've shown you what is, let me show you what can be. And now the question is, which one do you choose? When we talk about the uh, cares of the world versus concerns of his heart, remember there are four things that are struggling against it. We haven't talked about it for a while, so I'm quickly going over it. Family, um, money, work, possessions. These are the cares of the world. And at the center is Christ and the body. He'll test your heart. Why? Because what he wants to do is bring the church globally and locally into a place where once again he can fill in the vacuum that nobody else will. That what has been thwarted in terms of what the enemy planned to do will not just be left thwarted but the world gets a second chance. And who else will he speak to than his own people, his own body, his own sons and daughters? Who does he want to accomplish things through? Does he really want to roll up his mighty arm and intervene himself? Or does he want to stop repeating the scriptures from Isaiah and Jeremiah where he said, I looked for somebody and found nobody, therefore I rolled up my mighty arm. It's not his favorite scripture. It is not his favorite scripture. His thing is, when I look for somebody, I want to find somebody. I don't want to roll up my mighty arm. Which father wants to do it continuously? Isn't he looking for his sons, saying, who's going to step up? Ruth, do I need to call out anything? No? Table's in the way. Man, you're being picky, aren't you? It's all your fault, Ruth. Where are the people who help move the table? I can't find them today. Okay, you can stay in Vancouver. Happy? Okay, just checking. The other thing that God will test is um, deceit of the heart versus non-concealment. Deceit of the heart versus non-concealment. As in Jacob, over this time, can I bring you to a place where there's less and less deceit and more and more non-concealment in all your ways, in your dealings with people, in your dealings with me, in your dealings with the world, in the dealings with your own heart, that, they, that, that that scripture won't apply to you, that the heart is deceitful above all, will no longer ap apply to you. That there be non-concealment. God needs a people like this if you're going to if he plans to relaunch his body, his bride, uh, to fill in the vacuum. Why is it? Do you realize that everything the enemy does is a counterfeit of what God is doing? That the enemy by himself is not very creative because he's a finite being. That if the world is preparing for a post-COVID era, why is it that the Spirit of God is not able to get our attention to prepare for a post-COVID era? That there is more to the church than being able to live stream services so that people are fed for two hours once a week. That there is a voice here on earth. That there is a people here on earth amongst whom he dwells. That he is absolute king and does whatever he pleases and he is sovereign God, the Lord of heaven and earth. Those titles haven't been removed from him. 
The next thing he'll test, he'll test, his obedi- he'll test your obedience to his word. He'll test your obedience. He'll test your obedience to the word. Under pressure from your culture, test your obedience to the word. Under pressure from culture. And when I say culture, I mean Acts 29, culture may put pressure on you. And then there is the word of God that comes to you. Who will you obey? Your school um, friends may put pressure on you. And then there is the word. Who will you obey? The government or uh, people around you put pressure on you to behave a certain way. Who will you obey? He will test your obedience to the word under pressure from culture. As he begins to test these things, they'll become more and more obvious. They'll become more and more obvious. And every time God brings it up, don't shy away from it. Don't avoid it. Don't come up with Sunday school answers for it. Face it. Wrestle through it. Let him hurt you. Because the blows of a friend, though they hurt initially, are meant for your good. Let him hurt you. God's questions and God's ways can be piercing. They penetrate. They, the easiest way to avoid them is to just come up with a Sunday school answer like, oh, oh sorry, oh God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Yeah. Forgive me, he does, but it, the problem is never dealt with. He will test you to prove whether you live by the word that proceeds from his mouth or whether you live by self-generated means. He'll test you to prove whether you live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Or whether you live by self-generated means. self-generated means of sustenance like bread which is what the devil was trying to get Jesus to do prove me in this oh God you know one of the reasons God does not have the ability to prove me in this it is because if I decide that bread is the only means I'm going to live by There is no question of proving me because I have to go look for the proceeding word of God every morning. Father, today, what do you have? Find the proceeding word, as in, what is the word today, oh God, that proceeds out of your mouth? This is why one needs to fast to be fed, as in, find time to separate to him so that he can feed. And what does he feed you? His proceeding word. And what does he say as he feeds you? His proceeding word. That you, Jacob, shall not live by bread. By stuff you can bake and create with your own hands. But you shall live. As I prepare the church, you shall live. By the words that come out of my mouth. So that you will be effective here on earth. Because everything I do, Jacob, since the beginning of time, has been with my words. Everything I've done is through my words. Can you hear me so that you can repeat them? Because that's, that's how I've always done things. This is the church that he's calling forth, raising up, saying, can you step into the gap or do I have to roll up my sleeves and do it myself? Thank God for the influence we have today through just divine connections that God has given us all over the earth that allows a simple truth released by God into a small church like this to begin to go across oceans, go across nations. We do not realize the power of the mustard seed. All it takes is a mustard seed that is planted with care and absolute belief. And you do not realize how much that mustard seed can do. He will test you, you see, if you can look past 
the scorching sun, the desert creatures, the hunger and thirst, and spot the table that he has prepared for you in the presence of your enemies. He will test to see during this time whether, Jacob, you can lift your eyes off the scorching sun, as in the hostile terrain that you may presently occupy, as in the pressures of life that you're facing, as in the number of things that you are dealing with, as in the things that you're believing for, as in the things that are breaking down. Through all that, can you look past the scorching sun? Can you look past the desert creatures? Can you look past the thirst and the hunger that you actually feel and if you do you will spot the table that I have prepared for you in the presence of your enemies in the middle of a desert you will find that table where you can come and get what you need why so that you can go forth and do for the earth that which I want to do for the earth because this is really not about you Acts 29 this is really not about you my beautiful bride it is about the dwellers of the earth The angel comes and says to Elijah, Elijah, eat, because you still have things to do. You have to go anoint Jehu. You have to go anoint Elisha. So eat, because he had retired. He had decided, done, I'm done with this. Angels came and ministered to Jesus. Because there was a new beginning that Jesus was being given. He's already lived here on earth for 30 years. But behold, the Son of God is being given a new beginning. It was not that he didn't have the Holy Spirit. But he returns with greater power than he's ever returned. As in the expression of power. These stories were not written for our amusement. These stories were written so that we may have an idea of what we can step into in God. My dad used to tell me stories about his youth, not to keep me amused, because none of those stories were amusing. But the stories he told me were so that I would not make the same mistakes that he made. Like trying to catch a duck in a pond that dives as soon as you go to catch it. And how he was completely wet and was suspended from school. And you won't believe it, in 1976, I did exactly the same thing. <laughs> Went with a friend to catch one of these little ducks that as soon as you go to grab it, it bobs under. And it doesn't take much to drown me at that age. And I come soaking wet and I remember this teacher called Anjan Sinha. Mr. Sinha suspended me immediately. Some learn, some don't. That was just to clear my throat. The devil, on the other hand, will try to poison your relationship with your father. The same things that he tried with Jesus, he will come and try with you during these 40 days. He will make you think your father does not actually like you. He will question and put um, suspicion on your sonship and on his fatherhood during this time. As in, see, Jacob, you are standing and doing all this for him. What has he done for you lately? He'll try to poison your relationship with your father. He'll try to provoke you to take things into your own hands. He'll try to provoke you to take things into your own hands. Saying, just, just do it. Just, just this one chance, just do it. After this, you can repent. The thing with the blood of Jesus is sometimes it is so easy to think of repenting tomorrow, knowing that you can commit a sin today. He will provoke you to take things into your own hands during this time. Many churches will do it. Many churches will not wait for this period, but they'll begin to rebel against their governments. Take things into their own hands. With a degree of passion. And perhaps even having good reasons, but in wrong time. Guys, one of the things we have to watch during these next 40 days is the ability to do things in time. People at Acts 29 can do good things at the wrong time. I can do good things at the wrong time. I want to be in the timing of God. How do you find that time? 
by getting up and seeing what the proceeding word of God says. He can prod you into behavior that betrays the father-son relationship. He can prod you into behavior, as in he can, during this time, when these tests happen, you can just say, forget it, this is not good for me, I'll do my own thing, and it just prods you into behavior that is the same as it always has been, pre-COVID, pan-COVID, post-COVID. This is who I am, these sins are part of my life. Yes, this behavior is sorry, but nobody is perfect. The same old lines. Let's keep committing the same things we always do. Guys, we've got to come out better than this. Jacob has to come out better than this. Because otherwise the earth is left untended. One of the things that Jesus says to Adam, or God says to Adam in the Garden of Eden is, listen, I've made you someone who tends the earth. Tends the earth. It's not just about being green. Tending is much more than that. Being my brother's keeper. And so what happens at the completion of the 40 days? At the completion of the 40 days, you will either be proven as servants fit and ready for new kingdom work or not. At the end of 40 days, we will either be proven, you will either be proven as a servant who is fit and ready for new kingdom work or not. You know, Wally is like a tiny lab that God is constructing for us so that we can try out some of the things that God will teach us over these 40 days in our tiny lab so that we can export it around the world. I'm looking forward to it. Here's what you should expect to experience. Guys, the, the words are very deliberate. Expect to experience. Not here's what you will experience. Not here's uh, what you could pray for. Here is what you, here is what I expect to experience. And may it be the same for you. I expect to experience a surge in the power of the Holy Spirit. I expect to experience a surge in the power of the Holy Spirit a surge in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not that I'll have more of the Holy Spirit. It is that I will experience a surge of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in me. I expect to be able to throw down a staff and pick up a serpent. These are very deliberate things that I'm writing down so they're not just uh, stuff that makes the prose sound better. I expect to be able to throw down things that ha are my security. Moses had a staff that he would always carry. He had been a shepherd for 40 years. That staff meant a lot to him. And God says, throw it down, and he throws it down. Throwing down things that are my security, that are the things that I have begun to depend on, and then picking up things that I'm afraid of. He picks up the staff that has now turned into a serpent by its tail, and the serpent was a symbol of Egypt. You have the ability to throw down a staff and pick up a serpent, unafraid to pick it up, unafraid to throw down what is so important to you. I expect to be nomadic in following the pillar of cloud at a moment's notice. I expect to be nomadic in following the pillar of cloud at a moment's notice where, like a nomad, I refuse to anchor myself down to a point where flexibility decreases. This is the time when the church should be more flexible than ever. I expect the church to be able to level mountains and to raise foundations with shouts of grace, grace. Not by might, but not, and not by spirit, power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Zechariah 4.4 4 is where I'm bringing this out from. For 
In Zechariah 4, it says, Zerubbabel, what are these mountains before you? You will level them, and you will raise up the foundations of the temple with shouts of grace, grace. Level mountains and raise foundations with shouts of grace, grace. I expect this church to do it for sure, and churches around who will catch on. Why? Because there'll be mountains that need to be leveled. How do you level a mountain? What is a mountain? A mountain is an obstacle in the path of the kingdom, in the path of God's uh, agenda. And so how do you level it? You level it again with the one thing that God has always leveled with mountains with, which is clearly stated in Mark eleven twenty three, where he says, speak to it, speak to it, tell it what I need to say to it, and it shall move. With shouts of grace, grace. I expect to be authorized. I expect to be authorized to shut the heavens and to smite the Nile. I expect to be authorized to shut the heavens like Elijah did and smite the Nile like Moses did. As in, when necessary, bring judgment and relief. This is why God is saying, listen, I want a church to rise to this capacity. I want churches to rise to this capacity. The last time the... You, you, let me remind you of some of the things we've said. The last time the earth was shut down like this. Cannot be remembered. Was it World War II? Or was it World War I? More than 84 years ago. Was it some... Uh, never before has a globe been shut down like this. Do not think that this is God's plan, that this was something that God wanted to do to give the earth a Sabbath. God gives the earth a Sabbath without killing the number of people that have been killed. People are saying, oh, God was trying to give us a break by shutting down baseball and uh, soccer and football and hockey. Really? All that happened is you flip to Netflix and Amazon Prime. That's all that happened. You saw more movies than football. To bring judgment and relief. Yeah. Ah, the next one is something I wanted to avoid. I was talking to Chad last night and he brought this up and I thought I won't write it down. But he wants the church to be persecution ready. He wants the church to be persecution ready. See, the thing with persecution is that it is different in different countries. So in India, in North Korea, it might be death. In uh, China, it might be prison. In India, it might be a beating. In uh, uh, certain other parts of the world, it takes different forms. In this part of the world, it might be the taking away of privileges. It might be being branded a certain kind or a hate monger. But the church, one of the things God will do through this, if the church begins to function the way it should function post-COVID, then know that God wants a church to be persecution-ready. And it is only a persecution-ready church that can avoid becoming religious or being co-opted by the people in power. It is only a persecution-ready church that can, uh, that can escape being religious. The one thing that persecution does to churches is churches immediately become religious to avoid persecution, or they get co-opted by powers so that they become part of the state machinery. One or the other happens. These are the things that I expect. And I expect the church to be the kind of church that you find in Revelations 11 and Zechariah 4. Fitting the mold of, stepping into the mold of Revelations 11 and Zechariah 4. This is what God's dearest heart uh, yearning is and uh, 
Yeah. Why should we follow the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for the next six weeks? Why should we follow the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for the next six weeks? For the sake of the one who loves you and enjoys you. That's one reason. Why should I follow the Holy Spirit for the next six weeks into the wilderness? Simply because, because of the one who loves me. He's inviting me. Why would I not go? If you read the Song of Songs, she was willing to go in the middle of the night looking for a lover. Why would the bride not go looking for the bridegroom if he's inviting him, her? So what if it is into the wilderness? We already know that it's a place where we have an encounter and an overwhelming revelation of the bridegroom. Why would you not? Why would you not, church? Why would you not, individual? So one of the reasons I would go into the wilderness over the next six weeks is because it is, I'm being invited by the one who called me. Uh, it brings to mind Psalm 80, I think verse 15 or, therefore, or thereabouts, where it says, Jacob, you are the root my right hand has planted. You are the son that I'm raising up for myself. My God, why wouldn't I not go? That's one reason. The second reason is for the, sakes, for the sake of those that I love and enjoy. I would go. I would go for your sake. I want to say this categorically. I'll do everything in my power with great passion, with labor, so that you can enter. I have every intention of opening this door so that you can enter. I will labor with a tireless intensity by his power flowing through me to present you mature through this door so that you get to partake in it. I would do it for your sake. You can try no a couple of times. Big deal. Third reason I would do it is I would do it for the sake of my calling. I would do it for the sake of my calling. And when I talk about myself, I'm expecting you to have exactly the same reasons. That you would do it for the sake of your calling. There's a purpose that you were appointed to. There's a reason why you happen to be, at present, either a member or connected to or attending Acts 29. Do not think that it's coincidence or that your friend is the reason you are here. It is very hard to come with a friend and stay in this church. You are here because at present God has knit you into this place. And if he has knit you into this place, then there is a calling and purpose that this church has that, that then begins to form an umbrella over you. In Acts 26, uh, Paul is before Agrippa and he says to Agrippa, and I saw God in a vision and in that vision he said to me, I'm sending you to draw those out of darkness into light, out of Satan's captivity into freedom. Oh, King Agrippa, how could I then be disobedient to the heavenly vision? We would enter into this because of our calling. The fourth reason, I would enter into it for the sake of the kingdom. I would enter into it into the, for the sake of the kingdom. Matthew 6 verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. I would do it for the sake of the kingdom. For times like this, Esther's have been appointed. I would do it for the sake of the kingdom. And the last reason, I would do it for the sake of the ones who are on earth. And none of these reasons are less important. I'd put them all together. I would do it for the sake of the ones who are on earth. It's always a contest for land and life. From the day that the devil managed to get into Eden, it has always been about land and life. The thing that they lost besides the presence of God was land that was carved out for them in the eastward part of Eden. And they lost it. And since then, it's always been a contest for land and for life. And we would do it for the sake of the earth. In um, Isaiah 18 verse 3, uh, it says, O earth dwellers, if you read the message, it says, O earth dwellers, when you see a flag or a signal, pay attention. When you hear the trumpet, listen. 
God is desiring to raise the church so that we can put a flag up on the mountain and we can blow the trumpet so that the earth inhabitants of the earth can hear and say, aha, there is rescue. I'm done. How shall we begin? Let me cherry pick scriptures from Hebrews chapter 12 and put it on the... um, Um, slide and have you read it. How shall we begin? How shall we begin this process? Where shall we start? Over the next six weeks, we'll be going through this. Uh, Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, you'll start receiving, again, 12-minute videos that'll help us prepare for this. But this is, how do do we begin? Uh, These are scriptures cherry-picked from Hebrews 12 to give us a sense of how we begin. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way. All these veterans cheering us on. It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we are in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now, uh, and now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Watch out for the Esau syndrome. Trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing. But by then, it was too late. Tears or no tears. Make very sure that you never refuse to listen to God when he speaks. For the God who spoke on the earth from Sinai is is the same God who now speaks from heaven. Those who heard him speak his living word on earth found nowhere to hide. So what chance is there for us to escape if we turn our backs on God and refuse to hear his warnings and I would throw an invitation as he speaks from heaven? Since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his heart as we lay down our lives in absolute surrender, filled with awe, for our God is a holy devouring fire. This is where we start. We start with these scriptures from Hebrews 12, saying, oh God, you're inviting us so that you can change us into a church that will benefit the earth and change us like other churches into a bride that will benefit the earth. We want to say yes. This is where we'll start. Today is just a start, but it was so important to release this word so that the earth may now prepare. Like I said, I will labor with a tireless intensity. I've, I've, I've taken this out of Colossians 1.28 from the Passion Translation. I will labor with a tireless intensity by the power of the Spirit flowing through me to present you mature and you able to walk through this door that God is opening for us into the wilderness so that we may become the kind of church he wants us to be as he begins to bring us into a post-COVID era so that the earth may benefit. So do we say yes? Because I'm giving him permission in the church. Not that he needs permission, but because he's the kind of God, he always comes to the person in charge, be it your family, be it a school, be it your own home, be it the church. He'll come and say, what do you say? And when you say yes, then he doesn't have to wait anymore because he then says, great, my people are cooperating with me. And so when I say, do I give him permission, it's not like uh, he needs my permission, but giving him permission allows him to do what he would otherwise have to work really hard at, because the one thing he does not violate is the free will of man. We're going to end with that song, Here I am, down on my knees again. And as I sing that um, a couple of times, Could you please say yes? Could you give him your will? Because the only thing that you have to give is nothing else than your will. The breath you have is not yours. The money you have is not yours. The body you have is not yours. 
The promises you have are not yours. The future is not yours. You got nothing to give him. The only thing that you have that you can give him that is entirely yours because he decided that it is the only thing a man will possess that he can have ownership over is your will. So as we sing this, see if you can surrender your will to him. Do not surrender your will to him as in, oh Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Come with the, in the context of what has been spoken. Oh God, you are inviting us as a church to step into the wilderness. I lay down my will, I say yes to you, so that we may become the church that you want us to, so that you can bless the earth. Remember, we are a majority of one. Do not sell yourself, do not sell yourself short, but do not sell your God short.